Welcome to Bible Over Brews. Deep thoughts fermented over time and text. I'm coming at you, and I've got Gumby. Hey, what's going on? I've got Brian Gadawa. Hey! <laughs> and uh, as always, I'm Aaron Crew Juice Viverka. We are starting the night off with Platform's Candied Pecan Yummy. Our new seasonal variant shines with a nutty richness of pecan, the subtle sweetness of caramelized brown sugar, and just a hint of vanilla layered on top of the already flavorful classic Yummy Yam. It is a 7.9 ABV and a 25 IBU. All right. This is the good variant, to be clear. <laughs> he said variant. This is the good one. and right from right from the rip it is already quite heady as we went over last time proper way to pour your beer is on a 45 degrees till you're about halfway full and then you pour right down to the center releases the CO2 so you don't get any stomach aches (laughs) better for the earth too (laughs) I'll take your word on that Um, this is a little bit cloudy, but it has a very rich golden color to it. Mm. Ooh, flowery notes. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that is good. That is good. I taste more of the pecan than the yam mm-hmm. on the top. Yeah, same here. Yeah, that's almost buttery. I, I like the spice. Mm-hmm. It's good. It's it's uh, man. It's it's just slightly tart and just slightly sweet. It's very well balanced. It is very balanced and, yeah. and so far pretty consistent. I know that was one of uh, I won't say who, but somebody critiqued platform back before it was bought by we won't say whom. <laughs> they shall be named. Right. <laughs> we won't say who it is, but it rhymes with low wiser. <laughs> and uh, that was their critique was that it was never consistent. All the time. Okay. And I feel like the process has gotten pretty consistent now. So. Yeah. Well, hats off platform. Mm. This is delicious. Very good. Beer in the moment. I like that. <laughs> Mr. Gadawa, how are you feeling tonight? Dudes, ready to <laughs> roll. Ready to rock and roll. Although I'm trying to find my... Where is my Zoom thing? So, Oh, there we go. So I can see you guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And you, so, you got something you're drinking there too, Brian, huh? I am. I'm t- doing Maker's Mark Neat to join you guys. Always and, good drink. Uh, yeah, it is. I uh, When I go out, I like to get an old-fashioned because it tempers it a little bit with mm-hmm. a meal and all that. And uh, But, but you know, the problem with mixed drinks is they're just too sweet for me. I actually wish that they had mixed drinks without sweetness, but most of all of them don't, so they're yeah. all sweet, you know. Yeah. So I just try to find the less sweet ones that I can. But of course, just drink it straight, and that's in some ways that's the best. Absolutely, yeah. yeah we've been trying quite a few good bourbons lately, so we'll be yeah. bringing a lot more on the show in moderation. <laughs> in moderation. <laughs> in moderation. Yeah. Right. We had some good rums last week. Yeah. Uh, um, and that Boomba. This Boombo here, it reminds me of an old fashioned, actually. Um, yeah. Brian, and it's not sweet. It's just, it's exactly what you were talking about. It's B-U-M-B-U. It's a rum, but it tastes, if I just poured it, I don't think you'd probably tell me it's a rum. Yeah. It it has a very bourbonish flavor. 
Yeah, I, I love uh, mojitos that have rum in them, you know. Love a good mojito. <laughs> like a new location there, Brian. What's going on behind you there? Well, I'm in Texas. I'm a Texan now, and uh, we've been here since November. All right. So it's been a while since I've seen you guys. But um, yeah, yeah we, so we moved in the middle of the election last year, November, okay. and we basically got the heck out of Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it, things just, just in LA, you know, things were just getting worse and worse and worse, you know, and I know some people who are still back there and it's just like, yeah, and it's still getting worse. Really? Mm. And uh, yeah, it's just on, on so many levels, the governance of the state, of course, uh, but that, you know, the, 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 that ramp that, you know, has ramifications, you know, they're defunding the police in LA, you know, the murder rates going up. Of course. Homelessness is just spreading like a disease mm. and they're not doing anything about it. Right. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's, you know, and then, you know, all the, the laws and regulations that they're passing um, are just, yeah. So I was just talking to a friend at our church now, someone I just met who escaped two years ago, right before COVID hit and uh, had the same sort of just desire to get out. But so we, we basically gave away all of our stuff. We didn't have much. We lived in a little condo. Okay. And we never kept much. We never stored much. So mm-hmm. uh, we got rid of everything and just drove two cars. <laughs> wow. Filled with the basics that we could bring, clothes and some dishes, you know, and just got got the hell out of Dodge, like I said. And, and yeah. we, we drove to uh, Dallas. Uh, we, you know, we got an apartment here to, to stay. And then we looked for a house and, and you know, like I say, it was, it was still COVID garbage going on. But it was, there, was that, there was that lull over the election time, you know. Right. Um, and so we were able to find a place quickly and get in right before all the lumber prices went up and all that. So uh, we were really grateful to God, and um, we love our new place. We live in in uh, the north suburbs of Dallas, and so it's in the suburban area. And uh, we are suburbanites; we love it. Nice. And, um, yeah. So we're yeah. I just love love Texas. I love the freedom. Um, yeah, you know. And my uncle, so, my uncle lived there for uh, for years, so he enjoyed it as well. Huh? <laughs> Freedom is a valuable. I'm, I'm already thing. calling myself a Texan, so. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a ten gallon hat? <laughs> yeah, no, not that. You know, here's the interesting thing: like the whole stereotypes. There are, I, 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 I suppose there are southern stereotypes that exist in certain areas of Texas, but really not not Dallas and not Austin, mm. not you know um, the big cities. Uh, or their areas, surrounding areas. Um, yeah, it's amazing, like, how many Los Angeleans I, I meet here, you know? There's a <laughs> yeah. lot of transplants. Yeah, we were and, just talking about that. There's a lot of exodus out of there. Yeah, and it's still going on big time, and they're starting to get angry because, you know, we're causing the prices to go up. And, you know, unfortunately, the whole world's like that right now with all the supply chain problems and all that kind of stuff. It's like everything's going up, 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 and... And uh, it's not as cheap to live here as it used to be. Uh, still okay. better than LA or still better than California, but yeah. Um, yeah. So here we are and uh, excited and I'm, I'm doing, you know, unfortunately I lost about eight months or more in, because we moved twice, once across the country, then mo- moving into a house and setting up a new home and all that stuff. It just, I lost eight months of work and that was kind of a bummer. But over that time period though, uh, so I started working on my novel that I had started before we moved last year, and then I had to stop for these months. Really bummed out, but I was able to um, 
write a script in the midst of that time period, awesome. which uh, they're trying to, they're raising money now and we've got a director and, and uh, a couple of interesting actors uh, attached. Awesome. We can talk about that, but that's so awesome. I'm excited to kind of basically I'm settled in finally after a couple months, it took me two months to settle into our house, get everything set up from nothing, zero to everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, and now I'm back back on the track and and writing and doing podcasts you know tons of podcasts I've I've recently uh, so I, I've met this great guy Jared Crestman and he's he's kind of in the Christian conspiracy world but he's he's also growing and he's he's not like obsessed with that stuff but he comes from that background and mm. he's discovered a sort of a, a a more reformed take on on his faith and. And he's reading Puritans and stuff, and he's sort of, uh, and he also discovered preterism, which is you know that that eschatological view of mine, and so he had me on his show. But we we started just doing a whole, like we did one show just talking about it, and then we realized you know let's just keep going. Let's do a whole. I, I said let's do a whole series through. I'll go through every single chapter of Revelation and share all the scholarly notes that I've took. You know Ooh. that I took and. And then that exploded into Matthew 24 and Ezekiel and, and Daniel. We went through the book of Daniel, all the prophetic stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so I've been doing a lot of those videos. It's not like, it's kind of interesting how, you know, you have different phases. Um, so it, it's like, this isn't, prophecy is not the most important thing of my interest. It's one of my significant interests. Oh, yeah. But it's not something I want to major on forever. Okay. But Right now, I'm in the time period where I happen to be doing a lot of podcasts on that and building up my sort of teaching uh, videos on all these prophecy passages because a lot of people often do ask me questions about, you know, what do you got on this? What do you got on that? You know? And um, so now I kind of have them all, everything that I write or speak or teach on prophecy now is all in one location. called lastdayscourse.com or um, are we living in the last days? And, and so it's a course that people can buy. And, uh, but if you buy it, you get in, you have all my videos and teachings and books and everything on audio tape and everything, everything I've written. There's free stuff on there that you can get elsewhere, but not, every, not all of it, right? But it's also one location where you can go to get everything I've done. So I'm building up that library for those who, who want to buy the course so it's it's a talk about value added, you know. It's, oh, it's yeah. like for the for the price you pay, it's just phenomenal for the amount of teaching that you're getting, and it's been a great opportunity for me to, to sort of like I've been taking all these notes for so long, and I'm like, and I don't I can't write a lot of books on, it. and I've written a few books on prophecy, but you know, of course, I have my Chronicles of the Apocalypse novel series, but Which you know, there's phenomenal. so much more to deal with. I have to add that those are phenomenal, and the characterizations in them, Thank you. I think, were just Amazing. Thank so. you. Yeah, I, I still, they're among my best uh, work, I think, you know, in terms of being able to really take theology and all this heady stuff and make it into entertaining, epic <laughs> storytelling, you know, um, with super, with angels and demons and all that kind of stuff. But so, yeah, so I guess I've been on a season of doing, focusing a little bit on that building, that library of that teaching, you know, um, but I've, like I say, I've, I've, I have interests beyond that. Um, yeah. So right now I'm just sort of focusing on that while I'm also writing my next novel in, in my series, Chronicles of the Watchers. Awesome. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Well, I'm going to 
publicly go on record and apologize because I meant to get you a local bourbon. And I will make sure that when I bring you back on, you will have a local bourbon. What's the matter with you, Aaron? Aaron? <laughs> so, um, I'm disappointed. Yeah. Texas, like, they I know. didn't respond to you? They did not respond the to me. So They probably saw we were from Ohio, and they were like, uh-uh. <laughs> Ohioans. So I will, Ohioans. Right? So I will make sure that it's ready for you to go on the next one. So well, thank you very you much. You have my public declaration on that. <laughs> and there will be this next one because the, the next novel I'm putting out is, is called Moses Against the Gods of Egypt. And what is so exciting about that to, to me is I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, well, how many Bible stories are there that are, you know, people are so familiar with that you just, how can you garner more interest in something, a fresh take on it, right? You know, like mm-hmm. the story of King David, right? Everyone does that, right? David and Goliath, you know, what's so, <laughs> what's so fresh or interesting about Moses, especially when you got the Ten Commandments, right? But I'm telling you, the research I've done, it's, there's a lot of fresh material that nobody's dealt with and also imagination that I brought in that ties in all the theological elements of the book of Exodus and, and um, that just I'm really excited about and integrating the Egyptian worldview and their mythology, their religion, because, of course, Moses was raised as an Egyptian. Mm, And, you know, it wasn't until he was 40 that he actually left, right? And then, you know, he got the burning bush at age 80, right? Right. But those first 40 years, you know, he he grew up to be, uh, he was possibly, the research that I've done, it's possible that he was the the next in line for, to be Pharaoh, actually, Mm. Uh, he was he was an adopted son of a pharaoh that he was probably the next in line. So wow. so he had a lot of education in Egypt and stuff. So that whole first half of the book before he gets to Midian to you know the burning bush, it's an Egyptian worldview, man. And you know, and the Egyptians had this you know weird, bizarre religious beliefs, like you know, um, and they had a belief about the 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 uh, the underworld which is there's some similarities with the Hebrew idea of the Sheol, which I'm, I'm sure we've talked about on past oh, yeah. shows, you know, and, and it's in all my novels is Sheol. Well, Egypt's had a, had, Egypt also had a conception of the underworld, but it is very different in many ways. And I wanted to bring a, a understanding of that to people who are interested in that. I'm, I'm kind of a comparative religions guy. I like seeing and understanding how the similarities and the differences between all the various world religions, uh, ancient religions and such, particularly in those who interacted with Israel, whether it's Canaan or, in this case, Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I've learned, it's like doing the research and discovering about Egypt is a whole different reality Mm. than Canaan. And, you know, my Nephilim novels take place in Canaan, you know. Well, actually, they, uh, you know, they, they, they deal with... You know, Abraham, I deal with before Abraham, Noah, you know, so there's Mesopotamia and stuff, such, but but it's mostly that that upper world, the Mesopotamian slash uh, Levantine or Canaanite world. And so um, this Egyptian sort of interlude in the history of Israel, when, you know, Isra- Israel goes down to, to stay in Egypt because surviving in the famine, right, when they were just a family of 70 or, what, or whatever, but then they stayed there, and then they became slaves, and then it was 400 years, right? So <laughs> this is a whole new world that blew my mind because it's like, oh, wow, all these gods and stuff, and, and how do they all fit together? And, 
you know, not a lot of people are interested in that, but uh, believe me, when people read my book, they're going to be fascinated by uh, all the Egyptian religious notions and how I bring them in and integrate them um, while showing, obviously, the, you know, that, that the, the God of Israel, of course, is the God of gods. And he, he as the Bible says, he performed, uh, what did they say? He executed judgment upon the gods of Egypt. That's mm-hmm. phenomenal. And so... Yeah, that's what uh, I mean. I'm in the middle of the novel right now, and and I'm actually in that in that section of the story where the plagues come, and and this wasn't just plagues, uh, you know, sort of symbolically showing, you know, some judgment over the gods and such, but there was, you know, the whole Egyptian system was very integrated. All the god, there wasn't just a god of the water or a god of the sky and God of frogs or whatever, right? There were actually all the natural elements. Each of them had multiple deities connected to them in different ways. Like the Nile alone had multiple deities. There was wow. Hopi, the God of the Nile. It was his bloodstream. So, so or I'm sorry, it wasn't his bloodstream, but he was like the God of the Nile, but he wasn't the only one. The blood, uh, Nile was supposed to be the bloodstream of Osiris, who was one of the, ki- you know, f- the kings of Egypt in terms of a spiritual sense. And then there's um, the god Sobek, who's the crocodile god. And, you know, they've revered the crocodile because it's the denizen of that world that's one of the highest on the food chain, right? Yeah. And so there's all these various deities of each natural element so, so that when God was judging those gods, it wasn't like he was one plague was a judgment on one god. That's a misnomer. People have a misunderstanding about that. It's... God was upturning the entire natural order to show that all your gods that you think are the ones running the system, running the cosmos, they don't. I do. <laughs> and so when he turns the Nile the blood red, that's a judgment on about 10 different deities connected to the, to the Nile, right? So that, you know, there's much more depth to it than most people <clears throat> know from their standard reading of the text without context or without scholarly background or watching the movie The Ten Commandments, which, you know, one of my favorites of all time. But the truth is, is, um, you know, Moses, well, you know, I love Charlton Heston. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. But sorry, (laughs) Moses stuttered. Oh, yeah. And so there's definite scholarly evidence that, you know, he had a stuttering problem. So my Moses has a stuttering problem. Oh, nice. It's an issue that, you know, yeah, so... These are the kind of things that I'm working on right now, and I'm excited. Wow. It'll probably be available near the end of the year, you know, hopefully by November, but uh, we'll see. That's actually why uh, his uh, brother was his mouthpiece, right? <laughs> hey, what was his name? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aaron was a good speaker, man. He was a, he was a good speaker, and uh, so, yeah. But, but it's interesting because, of course, I think that um, uh, God took over. You know, Moses learned to to speak for himself, not have to rely on Aaron. But yeah, that's all part of his gro- personal spiritual growth. But yeah. yeah, it makes you wonder how much of it was just from spending forty years with sheep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it is amazing. I mean, however you understand those years and stuff, it's forty year increments. You know, I mean, forty years in Egypt, and you know the other interesting thing is if you read, you know. Uh, if you read the Moses story, there, there, there's a lot of stories like that that you don't realize they're very much, they're very short. They're very much in outline form. So there's not, there's not a lot of information on it. And his whole, the whole before he gets to the burning bush or before he leaves Egypt, 
There's only like two, two, two events that they talk about his birth. Okay. And then his, uh, what caused him to be, you know, to, to, to escape Egypt, you know, and killing the Egyptian. Right. Yeah. And, um, but what, what, what was all before that? Well, there are a lot of um, non-biblical sources like Josephus, a famous Jewish historian, Artapanus, another ancient historian, who have se- several stories that are not in the Bible that are suggestive of what Moses' life may have been like as an Egyptian. And I draw from those stories. I don't just make things up. I want to draw them from ancient sources, you know, even yeah. if they're not scripture. Yeah, and even yeah. if they're legends, you don't, you know, you just sort of, you're drawing from, this is the, this is the notions of Moses that we have. And, and um, so I try to make that, those traditions come alive uh, in a way that's not just made up, but it's yeah. based on other material as well. And then, you know, once he goes to Midian, it just says, you know, he meets, you know, he sees the seven daughters, he saves them, he marries Zipporah. And uh, then he goes to the burning bush. <laughs> but that's 40 <laughs> years. That's all it talks about in 40 years. And, um, uh, and then, of course, then when he actually comes back for the last uh, to, you know, free Egypt, or I'm sorry, to free Israel from Egypt, that's the bulk of the narrative, which is that's the most important stuff for, for Scripture. But then there's 40 years in the wilderness before he dies, right before they enter the promised land. So there's these three major segments of time of which they don't, you know, there's not a lot revealed of. And um, so it's interesting to try to try to tell a story that kind of connects those elements with a little bit of fiction, a little bit of revealing of the spiritual world, what, what that might that have looked like, or at least theologically, you know, what's going mm-hmm. on. Because of course, my, you know, my understanding is that the, the ancient world, you know, the, the Jewish biblical viewpoint worldview is that the various Gentile nations, including Egypt, are under the authority of these fallen sons of God. And, mm. and these fallen sons of God, the premise of the series, Chronicles of the Watchers, Chronicles of the Apocalypse, and Chronicles of the Nephilim, they're all premised on this notion that, that um, at Babel, God, you know, Deuteronomy 32 talks about at Babel, how God separated, when he you know, divided the languages, he placed all these godless peoples under the authority of these false gods that they were worshiping. Okay, you know, you want to worship false gods, you're going to be under them, right? And, and that there's some connection, there's some demonic reality to these watcher beings. And so these watchers over these pagan nations, I end up, you know, sort of pick, depicting them as the gods of those nations, you know? And so maybe there's some demonic reality behind those gods. And, and that's Ooh. sort of the premise of the whole series of Chronicles of the Watchers and all of them as well. So in Egypt, I have these, these gods who are real beings, but they're not as if they're gods. They're more like the biblical watchers or the fallen ones, the fallen angels who are masquerading as the gods of Egypt, right? So they take on their identities. They take on their names. They, they build their narratives in order to draw people away from the living God and get them rooted in their worship of idols, right? So that's sort of the premise of the whole, all of my stories that I've been telling, basically. Absolutely. You know, all these novel stories. And, um, and I think in some ways, Moses is a climactic example of that because you've got all these gods at once and, 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 and God's judging them, you know? So it's kind of interesting. Of your virtual pantheon. So mm-hmm. is this pulling from your previous uh, books where the, are, the, are those deities from the previous books going to be playing a factor in this? 
Yeah, it is a part of the series. So what I've done is Chronicles of the Nephilim was my first series, eight books, span the Old Testament, end up with Jesus. And I'm trying to tell the story of these watchers and their progeny, the giants and the Nephilim and those weird, all those weird things. And I try to make sense of that theologically and spiritually as well as entertainingly. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then the Chronicles of the Apocalypse is after Jesus, which would be, it tells the story of the book of Revelation, its origin story. When John or the Christians are being persecuted under Nero and, um, and uh, you know, how, how John was writing the book of Revelation at that time and how they understood it to be related to their first century. So that sort of ends that whole package. But then uh, The Chronicles of the Watchers is my third series. And what I'm doing with that is, there's, it's kind of twofold. One is I'm kind of filling in a few holes of some books that, like I could have gone back to Chronicles of Nephilim and done this Moses book and placed it right before the Joshua Valiant book. Mm. Because, of course, Joshua was the one that led them into the promised land, and I never told Moses' story, right? So I could do that, but, but I've already written the series, so what do I do? Book 7.5 instead of, or whatever it was, 5.5 instead of book 6, because Joshua's book 6 or something like that, right? Mm. What is Joshua? I think Joshua's 5. But anyway, you get my point, is that I didn't know how I could go back to the series and fill in the holes. So I thought, well, watchers would... would so the watch Chronicles of the Watchers are, you know, sort of standalone books that you can read standalone, but if you want to, you can actually insert them into the chronology of Chronicles of the Nephilim and read them in that in that in that series. But there's a second there's a second sort of theme that I'm dealing with and that is mostly I'm I'm telling stories that are focusing on the Watchers, whereas Chronicles of the Nephilim, I do have the Watchers, obviously. But I wanted to focus on the giants as well. And so there's a lot of yeah. giants in all the Chronicles of the Nephilim. But once David, you know, just kills the giants in the land, um, the last of the Rephaim, the giants don't really... Biblically, they're not as, as relevant, but the watchers still are. So my original goal would be I'll fill in a few holes of Chronicles of Nephilim, but then I'm going to go beyond them after David, where the giants, David ended the giants, biblically speaking, right? That's not to say that there weren't any more giants left, but in terms of the theological purpose of God destroying mm. the giant clans of, of, of Canaan, right? That is a very theological, specific purpose. But once David, this, David does that, there's no more, in the Bible, there's no more reference to giants, right? So there's a yeah. kind of an ending happening there. But theologically, there are watchers that go beyond that. And so my goal was, okay, I'm going to do the watchers that go beyond David. And then my goal is, is you know, I start with biblical stories like Moses. I'm going to do Daniel, maybe the Maccabees. But then also I want to branch out into other nations like one of the one of the books in the series is called, um, uh, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought. What uh, the Dragon King? But it's it's called um, it's called Chit. Uh, Chit. Oh my gosh, you guys! I can't believe I'm. I'm it's okay. I'm, I'm drinking too much whiskey. Got <laughs> <laughs> a brain fart. The Dragon, I read, I, the Dragon King was actually really good too. I very very much yeah. enjoyed it. So, um, this is terrible. I can't believe that I'm, 
I haven't looked at the, at the book for so long that, that I've kind of forgotten the, the title. Because what happened was it was originally called The Dragon King, uh-huh. but I changed the title to make it more relevant. I think it's called, um, Ch- uh, yeah, it's called um, Chin. Yeah, Q-I-N. Okay. Chin. So Chin is the story of the origins of China, which is in the Chin family, uh, and which brought them out of the, um, the warring tribes of China it was the first empire was the empire of Qin. That's it, Q-I-N. And um, so, but I, I believe that there's also watchers connected to that history as well. So I, my goal is to eventually branch out into other nations, maybe Britain, uh, some of these other nations, um, you know, um, you know, the, the uh, Scandinavian countries, you know, maybe some of those gods Mm-hmm. And and deal with nations outside of Israel. So it starts in Israel, but it, it expands beyond Israel. But ultimately, once Messiah comes, the premise of my whole un- writing universe is that once Messiah comes, he he ends all that. So these will be all ancient stories of nations and their gods before Messiah. Well, the apostles, I could see being a, a factor in that as well, because the apostles didn't stay. In Mesopotamia, right? They they went out. In fact, uh, Thomas made his way all the way up to what Ukraine, right? So yeah, no, that's a good point. Yes, that's a good point. it's almost like they were going out to dethrone the gods across the world. Mm. It's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> First, a message from our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to train Muay Thai? Perhaps there's no gyms near you. Perhaps you work odd hours. Perhaps. Like a few of us, you don't like germs. Whichever way it goes, you can train online with some of the best instructors from around the country, either live or in class with other students. Living Muay Thai gives you the chance to do all of this and much more. So jump into live classes and on demand right now. LivingMuayThai.com as far as Moses goes in Egypt, how much from Egyptian sources do we have on on Moses? Is there anything that we can pull from, uh, you know, their sources historically that that would help or has helped, or is there anything that even exists? I'm not. Yeah. So so traditionally, the the scholarship around Moses, there's a whole history of it, of course, and there's a conservative version and a liberal okay. version, and. You know, suffice it to say that I, I think in general, you know, the, the scholarship that dominates uh, scholarship, uh, biblical scholarship these days, is by and large unbelieving scholarship. It's called okay. critical scholarship. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting, critical scholarship is the same family as critical theory in, in the universities, <laughs> which is the foundation of critical race theory. It's the foundation of all these critical theories from postmodernism, right? So mm-hmm. the, the biblical version has a similar version called critical scholarship. And, Interesting. And, wow. And basically, they dominate the field, and the dominant view is there's really no, uh, you know, there's really no evidence of um, uh, Israelites in Egypt at the time period that they were supposed to be there. Hmm. And there's no evidence of an exodus, and there's no evidence of them actually coming into the promised land, of conquering these. In fact, the evidence indicates that these things, like, for instance, um, cities like Jericho, there is evidence that Jericho's wall fell. But it's 300 years earlier than what 
what we believe it is it should be right and so therefore and 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 you know and there's no evidence of israelites in egypt at the time um, of ramses which is what they assume there's this assumption another liberal conclusion is that ramses was the the uh pharaoh of the exodus and so um that's sort of the traditional the traditional view is now the liberal view and most of it's unbelieving because there's just, you know, there's just no evidence and all this kind of stuff. But the, here's the interesting thing. So I, based on my research, I did a lot of research, which I would I, I highly, highly recommend this series called Patterns of Evidence. It's a documentary series on Moses, and there's like five videos already. And it's a great video series. It yeah. is. It is, isn't it? And, and one of their main scholars that they draw from not all of it, but is David Roll. Yeah. David Roll is an Egyptologist who goes against the grain of Stanford scholarship, and he has been the the um, major figure in what's called the New Chronology of Egypt. And what that is is basically the chronology of Egypt historically is a mess because there's so much and there's so much confusion and contradiction. So now there is a, you know, there's a establishment view, right? The received view of scholarship over the years. Mm -hmm. but the truth is, is that there's so much, so many anomalies and holes in it that there's now a new school called the new chronology and they adjust all the dates back about 300 years. Boom. <laughs> and this by this documentary series, patterns of evidence, you can get it online, go for it. I highly recommend watching, getting all the videos. I have them all. They're great. And so basically what they do is they say, look, the reason why there's no evidence of, of Israelites in Egypt at the time period of Ramses is Ramses is not the Pharaoh of the Exodus. It's actually, now there's different, you know, there's all these different theories. David Roll, who I'm following, he's a scholar, an Egyptologist who is this, you know, new chronology, but it's interesting because he's sort of outside the mainstream, mm. but, but he's so good at it that they cannot, they cannot um, dismiss him. You know, mm. scholars like to dismiss, oh, he's not part of the, he has no credentials or whatever. Well, Roll has all the credentials you need. He's done actual archaeology and all this kind of stuff. So they can't dismiss him. So they have to argue with him. Anyway, the evidence is that if you shift everything 300 years back, it all fits perfectly. And there is evidence of Jericho's walls falling 300 years earlier. And by, so, so the standard view of the Exodus is it happened around 1250 during Ramses. But interestingly, the new chronology view is that it happened in the 1440s. We're talking BC. Yep. And, but interestingly enough, 1440s was the original traditional view when people <laughs> believed in the Bible. That's and they followed the Bible. That, that's that was the date. But then everything got you. Oh no, it's not. Oh, oh no, no, no. History shows it was in 1250, and there's no evidence of it, right? So it's just you know, it's just liberal scholarship is just so dishonest. Well, plus there's a anyway, reference to kings, right? Uh, where they actually wrote where it was like 400 years before the age of Solomon, yeah. right? So it's yeah. Like, if you follow the dates in the Bible, there are problems though, honestly, with the text. Mm. of coming to an accurate date, even using the biblical text, there's a couple different options. So admittedly, it's not perfect in the Bible in terms of figuring it out. Um, but the traditional view, lo and behold, ends up being the, the, the view that is most in line actually with the, the new chronology. And it, not only does it place it 300 years earlier, and therefore all of a sudden the walls of Jericho fall down exactly when the new chronology says, which is exactly when the Bible says, 
So if it's 1440s that the exodus occurred, then, um, but then also the, the lineage of all the pharaohs is a very confusing mess as well. And the new chronology of David Roll, he argues that the pharaoh of the exodus was actually Dudamos, which is a very, uh, he's a relatively unknown, there's a whole period of dynasties in Egypt that are not, you know, we don't know almost nothing about. However, mm. there are some documents and artifacts related to Dudamos. And what's really interesting is, and so if he's the, you know, so the, the role makes the argument that Dudamos is the pharaoh of the Exodus. And, but there are some inscriptions, and one of the, there's an actual inscription of Dudamos's son, who's called Sobekhotep Mio. Sobekhotep was the name of, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. There's two different pharaohs here. There's the pharaoh of Moses' birth and raising until he leaves, and then there's the pharaoh of the Exodus. So Pharaoh Dudamos is one, and it, and there are there's there is um, historical evidence of the very things that happened in Exodus happening in the time of Dudamos, right? According to the new chronology, but this is all under this paradigm of the new chronology that is you know not accepted by the mainstream, but it's not without. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's, it's got scholarly, it's a scholarly, it's a minority view, but it's legit. Right. But then I was jumping back to, so the Pharaoh under Moses would be considered Sobekhotep IV. And again, these are, you know, most people don't know anything about these. Who are, who's that guy, right? But, but there is some, there are some documents about Sobekhotep and, and, and historical references that, that, uh, could could be Moses. So there's even one reference to the son of Sobekhotep called Sobekhotep Mio. And Mio is uh, one of those words that's connected to, it could be a pet name, but it could be part of that whole thing of Moses, the Egyptian version of Moses. Because Moses doesn't just mean drawn out of water like the Bible, like the, the Bible is saying. There's more to it than that. The Egyptian version of Mos means son of. And so it's almost like... Um, calling him Moses is just calling him the son of without giving him an actual name. And so the, this Mio might be connected to that whole uh, thing, you know, the whole reality of what Moses' real name was and um, what his G Egyptian name was, right? And so, and, and Sobekhotep Mio was the first, the first son of, of Sobekhotep IV. And so... Um, yeah, there's actually, Roll actually makes this argument that there might actually be some artifact evidence of Moses yeah. in history, you know? Wow. But this is all That's under this paradigm of the new chronology. And like I say, but it all fits. Like when you just shift everything that 300 years, part of that documentary series is they show that all these problems that scholars say, there's no evidence in the in history of all these things in the Bible. You shift the history uh, 300 years back all of a sudden, it all fits perfectly with, with the story of Moses and the Exodus and all that kind of stuff. So I'm following that paradigm, and I don't think it's been done before. There's been people who've written novels about Moses where, you know, there are various candidates. One of them was um, Thutmose III, I think, as, as the Moses or the Pharaoh. Um, Ra of course, Ramses the Great, some people think he was. That was the, the um, Ten Commandments guy. So there are several options. Akhenaten, some people think, you know, but no, no, that's not it. In fact, I think Akhenaten was the 
was the Pharaoh during the time of David. And mm. um, anyway, that's a whole other story. But <laughs> so um, I'm telling a story based on David Roll's argument and this, this documentary series. I'm sort of taking their scholarship and, and telling the novel story if, if that was it. So it's going to be fresh, a fresh take on Moses in many ways. And, and, but biblical, my argument is biblical. It's not going to be, you know, made up imagination, mm-hmm. but there will be the, the usual angels and demons sort of battling and what that world might look like, you know, if we pull back the curtain type of thing. And yeah, that's speculation. That's, that's some fantasy, but it, it's okay. theological, spiritual novels that I'm telling, not this is how history actually was. You know? <laughs> we don't know. Man, that's looking forward to that. We've actually seen that series, right? I oh, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a. So we should probably stop talking about it because it's still going to be another few months. I mean, four months or so before it comes out. We don't want to. People are going to, oh, well, what? You know, right, what right, else? Right. Well, that's awesome. In fact, uh, so I actually I, I teach biblical. You, so wait, wait. I just want to say, so you guys are the first podcast. You, you're special because you're the first podcast that I'm actually talking about this Moses stuff on. Oh, this is awesome. Yes. Sweet. You, hear that? you heard that from Brian, That's not from right. us. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Bible over bruise, baby. All yeah. right. I'm <laughs> looking forward to it. I thoroughly enjoyed all of your series and the research that goes into them. They're just phenomenal. I mean, they're very in-depth, and, and even the companion books show the amount of thought and research that goes into every single one of the series. So, yeah, that's one of the things that I, you know, it's, I, it's like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm working, I'm creating a universe and it's kind of like a Marvel universe or the Star mm. Wars universe, you know, where all these things are all connected. Now, obviously I'm basing it on the Bible, so I'm trying to make it consistent with the Bible, but there's all these other elements that I'm drawing from legends and ancient stories that aren't, aren't scripture, but that, that's fine. And I'm trying to make it all fit together and work in a way that glorifies God and and uh, I'm proud of that fact because that's what I do is I always put out a book now that, that well, in, in the Chronicles of the Nephilim, of course, there's appendices after each novel where I share the research. But nowadays, every time I do a book, I also have a secondary book that I put out that shares the research behind the novel because I know Christians are, are you know, Christians are people who, they want to know where you got this stuff. You know, yeah. did you make this up yeah, or yeah. where'd you get in the Bible? And they're open Christians are amazingly open to uh, to seeing the Bible through fresh eyes, different a different paradigm than the, what they're used to. Just so long as you can explain where you're getting it from, it's not just made up out of the blue. But there's a biblical basis or a historical basis, and and so that's why I do that work. And it's sort of it's my way of sort of explaining, you know, without going too far. You know, you don't want to explain every detail because there's a magic to storytelling that you know you draw the. I want people to just. More than anything, I just want them to read the novel and, and just, just so they understand this isn't all made up. It is based on stuff. And so you can have that confidence as you're reading that. Like if you read my Moses novel, you're going to get a sense of Egyptian religion. And you can, say, you can tell yourself or you can say, okay, I, I have a little bit of better insight into the Egyptian religion. It's not made up stuff. I, I drew it from real Egyptian stuff. Because, you know... Nobody, very few people want to look into Egyptian religion. You know, why, why bother, right? Yeah. It's, it's all, it's dead and all this. And, and it's, a lot of it's confusing mythology in any way, you know, it's not even, not that interesting unless you're a scholar or someone who loves that stuff. But when you read it in my stories, you'll love it. You'll get interested and you'll say, oh, and you can actually say, I now have a little sense of the ancient Egyptian worldview and religion of how they saw and understood things. 
in a way that I didn't before, that will clarify a lot of biblical. Like you'll reread the Moses story and you'll see, oh, you'll see stuff you didn't see before because there's so many Egyptian connections in the Moses story that people don't know about uh, just reading just reading the biblical text. So I just created a hashtag, Gadawaverse. <laughs> You're like the preterists. Preterist. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. We're gonna create a. We're gonna create the Gadawa verse. We're gonna just keep hashtagging it. <laughs> no, no. It's, it's, it's. Yeah. I mean, that's what a writer loves to do—to be able to create a, a whole mythology, uh, or yeah, or universe. You know that that everything will be connected and make sense. And isn't that really an exp- sort of an expression of God's image in us? Mm. Because God creates the universe. He connects everything together, right? Yeah. yeah. And he connects us together, but he, the stories he connects together, and even the pagans who hate God and are seeking against him don't realize that they are under his sovereign control and he's working it all together for his purposes. Yeah. And Amen. that's how God operates. So when when we storytellers are able to create a universe like that, like not just, oh, I wrote a novel. Oh, that was good. But like, I've written 20 novels and they're all interconnected and it all tells a storyline that's a way that we incarnate or express that creative image of God in us. And it's all glory to him. You know, that's, that's my, that's well, my purpose. And it all works so out. I think storytellers are gods of their universe. And that, that is a apologetic for Christianity, for the sovereign God who controls all history. Yeah, that's a great Absolutely. Way to say it. Yeah. yeah, and all all authority belongs to him, right? If you go back into, like, you know, Romans 13 and stuff, all authority belongs to God. You know, any authority is because he granted it. <laughs> so, you know, so even, I mean, think all the way back to the Old Testament, Cyrus was not a, a Jew. He was not a, a yeah. good person, but God still used him, you know? So all authority is under God's authority. Not only so. that, but but in Isaiah... Cyrus is referred to as Yahweh's anointed one. And that word is the same word as Messiah. I'm not saying he is the Messiah like Jesus is. Right. But the concept of Messiah was there would be a Messiah in, the, in Israel's future that would save them, which is what Jesus was. But the concept of Messiah was anybody who saved Israel was a Messiah, David yeah, was yeah. called the anointed one. That means David was the first Messiah. Right. So, so Messiah is a concept that is applied, like you said, to Cyrus, who's a pagan. Why? Because God used the pagan to achieve his purposes. Because God, our God, is the God of history. His, oh, I hate to be cliche, but his <laughs> story. Right, right. right. Yeah. No, I... <laughs> I always find it interesting that, you know, even when Jesus was born, when the census was happening, how they were able to go to Egypt, you know, to hide. And I, I always found it fascinating. I always wondered if there was more like, you know, I, I'm not sure why it was chosen, you know, why they were comfortable going there, blending in, you know, hiding until they needed to. You yeah. know, I, so I, yeah, there's, I have more to research on that, but. In print, I mean, historically speaking, Egypt was a, uh, you know, it was a um, client king of Rome. So they were still within the Roman Empire is the point. So they were just going to far reaches where they wouldn't be found type of thing. Mm-hmm. But it was still the Roman Empire. That's why they could. And there was a strong uh, Jewish presence in Egypt for yeah. them to be able to be, you know, protected and part of. 
However, you know, there, I think there's, there are a lot of Egyptian connections through, all throughout the New Testament, you know. Um, yeah, in fact, there's this whole concept of the second exodus. And this is, a, this is something I haven't done a lot of study on, but other brothers of mine that I respect have. And it's really fascinating how the, um, the exodus motif is a theme. N.T. Wright talks a lot about this. It's a repeated theme throughout the Old Testament. But also in the New Testament, particularly it's related to, and if you read the book of Revelation and, and other passages, you see it's specifically applying the old Exodus terminology of, of leaving Egypt to the Christian church of the first century, leaving Exodusing from the apostate Jewish nation, which rejected Messiah by and large, except for the Jewish... So the Jewish believers within Israel, they exited or exodused from the apostate uh, nation of Israel, which was then judged, like God judged Egypt, right? It was judged in AD 70 with the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Israel and the destruction of that whole country, right, by the Roman armies. And so there is this theme in the New Testament about that, that, that exodus, um, of the believers, where Jesus, you know, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation, flee to the mountains, right? right? right. And so when Roman armies surrounded Jerusalem, uh, after they left, the Christians fled because then the Roman armies came back and destroyed everything. And so um, this Exodus motif is a strong New Testament uh, theme as well. So I, I plan to, to you know, get into that more in my own study. So a question for you, you referenced the, uh, the Maccabees earlier. So um, how much research have you done as the Maccabees so far? Not a lot yet, okay. but I do find it a fascinating story. And, and I, do th I see it as a candidate for my Watchers series because, uh, and, you know, as, uh, for any Christians who don't know, you know, it's, Maccabees is the, the storyline of the, um, basically, the time period in Israel. So the... The Old Testament ends with Micah, Malachi. And then there's 400 years before the New Testament starts, right? So there's this 400-year gap where there's no scripture. And, but there's certainly history. And there's certainly documents about history. One of those books that is written about that time period, which is around 170, 65 AD or, something, or BC, I'm sorry, between in that, in that interim time period, they call it the... the um, I can't remember what they call it. But anyway, the, the Maccabees is one of those stories. And, the, and what's interesting is it is in the Apocrypha of the Old Testament, which is accepted by the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. <laughs> yep. I, you know, it's part uh, of our, as scripture. It's part of and our Bible. Protestants. Part of our Bible. <laughs> yep. Protestants don't accept it as scripture, but I think the more educated Protestants recognize and understand it as legitimate yeah, history. Um, and, and, and the fact is, is the Bible draws from this literature anyway, uh, draws from Jubilees, it draws from other pseudepigrapha, it draws from the book of Enoch. The New Testament mm -hmm. draws from these books that are not considered scripture within the Protestant canon, mm -hmm. but even Protestants can acknowledge that, you know, well, they have value, you know, yeah, and, absolutely. but there's a certain segment of evangelicalism and that's sort of the fundamentalist world and, and certain parts of the evangelicalism that sort of, oh, it's not in the Bible, it's not scripture, so we don't read it. 
and, it, and it's, it's, it's lies. You know, yeah. that's the mentality. I think that's dying out. I think there's fewer and fewer Christians that think that way. I agree. But um, those of us who accept it as well, you know, even if it's not scripture, it still it could be legitimate history. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, but it's an important tale because it, it, it is a tale about the, the, how Israel was freed from the Hellenistic uh, world that had taken over the world uh, with Alexander the Great but it also had corrupted Jewish religion in this, in this interim time period of before the New Testament came, right? And so um, it tells the story of these, these brothers, the Maccabees, you know, they were the, they were the sons of, of uh, Judas Maccabeus was one of the five sons, I think, of, of this um, priest. I can't remember his name. You know it? Not off the top of my head. The father who stood up. Yeah. Anyway, he, the father stood up against the Hellenistic empire because it, the Hellenistic empire came in and it, it said, you know, okay, particularly Antiochus Epiphanes is this cruel, wicked empire emperor. And he comes in and says, you know, Jews, Israel is part of our kingdom. Enough with all this garbage. I'm going to force you to eat pigs. I'm going to force you to defy your religion. And I'm going to force you to, you know, um, I'm going to set up my my altar of Jupiter in your temple and I'm going to mock you and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going to kill you if you don't defy the Sabbath and all this stuff. So he became particularly evil. And finally, a lot of Jews gave in, you know, because they just want to survive. But then these, these brothers, the Maccabee brothers led by Judas Maccabeus rose up in defiance and fought back. And they ended up being successful repelling the Greek. Now this is the Greek emperor at the time. Uh, from the Seleucid Empire, they repelled him from Israel, and it lasted for a period of time, short period of time. Daniel talks about this, actually. Daniel prophesied this. Oh, but yeah. anyway, so, in fact, that's one of the interesting things is why it should be a more respected book because it does tell the story that many of us argue Daniel prophesied in some of his chapters. Absolutely. And so, um, so it, was, it was a story of, Israel purifying itself from Hellenistic corruption, which is Greek pagan thinking. But interestingly, that Hellenism still held root in a lot of Jews and lasted up until the New Testament when Jesus came. So when Jesus came, yes, the Roman Empire was in control and there was a lot of Roman garbage, but they were still all Hellenists. Mm. And Hellenism was still a significant influence even on, on, on Jews. Right. And so... So, uh, so that Maccabee story, I think, is interesting because now we've got the Greek empire, which is Greek gods, and that's something I haven't really dealt with in my series, and that's why I'm interested <laughs> in it, because I'm now dealing with the Egyptian gods. Well, I've dealt with all the Canaanite gods for, you know, eight books or more, you know, no, eight, nine, ten, 12 books or more, right? Right, right. Um, and I'm like, well, what about Greek gods and in and, and, and the Hellenistic empire, if they were under the... You know, like I say, if the if the Greek Empire was under those gods, then then, then what would that have looked like? And and that's why I'm yeah. I'm curious. I may actually write that as my next novel. Um, I don't know yet. There there's a couple options. That'd be fascinating. And I and I bring this up for a couple of reasons because the Seleucids, of course, were incredibly terrible to the to the Jewish people. But 
the Ptolemies weren't. The Ptolemies were actually very accepting. That's where that's where we get the the Septuagint from. Is because they were uh, not only did they were they accepting of them, but they helped them write the Old Testament into their current language at that time. Yes. So the Ptolemies were the Egyptian rulers. So when Alexander the Great, the Greek, the Macedonian Greek, he conquered the whole world, so to speak, the known world, right? And of course, he was the third part of Daniel's statue, right? The I don't know what it was the the bronze legs or something, right? Yep. So right before the Roman Empire, he was the, the that that Greek kingdom, and that God that God you know for uh, uh, had foretold, and so he unified the whole world. But he died young, and then his kingdom was split up between his four generals, and that's what started all the problems. And the, the generals were um, f- there's four of them, but the two most important ones relevant to Israel's history were the Ptolemies in Egypt and the Seleucids up in the north, which would be, they had Israel and Mesopotamia. And so those were the ones that Israel had to interact with, right? So yeah, so you're right. The Ptolemies were actually quite favorable and they have a whole fascinating history as well. Yeah. yeah they, they created the uh, ancient library of Alexandria. And I was just thinking about that just the other day, literally. I was thinking... Oh man, there was something like they said, I don't know, something like as much as four, I don't know, was it 400,000 scrolls in that library? I just yep. thought, if only that hadn't been burned up, these, these, these evil kingdoms that come in and they just burn the whole, you know, Alexandrian library. And it's just like, oh man, that, that must have had literature from all over the world. Imagine if we had access to that stuff. Oh. Yeah. Well, there's a legend that it might still be in the Sphinx. So. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, there is. Um, but I bring that book up because it's really interesting. There's a very small set, uh, subset of scholars that believe that uh, the tribe of Dan, because you know they kind of disappear. Well, there's a, a small subset of scholars that believe that they became the Spartans, and that's oh, and that's actually found. In the book of the Maccabees, if you go into uh, not them, du- yeah, it doesn't reference them directly. However, it does say the Spartans were found to be the same stock as Abraham, so they were Jewish, and one of their sigils was the same sigil as the tribe of Dan. So, no kidding, interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I can't wait to look, to find that. You know, um, that'll be interesting material. Yeah, so it, it's just fascinating that, that you can possibly make that link back and forth and which would explain also why they finally disappeared <laughs> so because we all know yeah. what happened to the spartans so <laughs> oh, yeah no it's um yeah it's interesting all these connections you know for instance well i, I don't want like i said I, I need to move on from moses because we don't know you know it's not going to be available for months but i'll have more to say when it comes out let's put it that way <laughs> look forward to it join us in part two for the rest of the conversation 